Um, tonight is much more about my testimony, although it's a fascinating story, it's my story. Um, but it does give you an insight into Jewish thinking, a um, little bit about our culture and heritage, and um, uh, how to witness to a Jewish person. Um, there are a lot of myths uh, surrounding Jews and what they know about the Bible. Um, and hopefully we'll answer some of those today. And if you have a Jewish friend or co-worker that you've been wanting to witness to but felt a little intimidated um, in doing so because you don't know much about Jewish people, um, uh, I hope this will help you and you'll want to do that. that that's... That's my mitzvah, my, my commandment uh, to pass on to you. Um, before we start, tonight is the first night of Hanukkah, uh, a very special holiday, uh, uh, although um, it's not in the Bible. It was referenced by Jesus in John chapter 10, um, and um, we're going to light the candles tonight. I'm going to ask my, my wife, Roseanne, to come up and help me. You have on your sheets in front of you the blessings. There are three blessings on the first night for Hanukkah, um, and... Uh, you have the Hebrew on the top, and then the translation, the transliteration underneath that. So I'd like you to help me with these blessings. This is going to be participatory. I want you to try to say the Hebrew. It's transliterated for you there, and then the English underneath. Um, but before we light the candles, uh, a little history on Hanukkah. Uh, Hanukkah is an eight-day holiday, and you see the candles that we light each night. Uh, but if you notice, there are nine candles. Why would I have a? I have some Hanukkah gelt, which is coins. For anybody who can answer, why do we have nine candles if there's only eight days? In the house, in the holiday. Anybody, Roseanne? It's the helping candle. With the helping candle. Well, which one is the helping the, candle? The middle one. The, the middle, middle one. one. So you light the the shop, shop, shamus. shamus, and then and then you light a candle for each night of Hanukkah. Um, the shamus is normally. Um, in the center but not always but it has to be set apart from the other eight candles if you notice the shamus on our menorah is higher it's just a little bit higher um, 
I had a, uh, I saw a menorah with um, a deer. It was, it was a, a menorah for kids, and it was a deer, and it had eight, it was an eight-point buck. Wow. But the ninth was higher, all right? I saw an elephant that had eight candles, and the shamus was on the tail. It was out. It was set out uh, aside from it. So um, that's, but how did this holiday come about? It, it wasn't ordained by God uh, as the other feast days were. Um, and after the Syrian Greeks conquered Jerusalem in 168 BC, uh, they defiled the temple and uh, they prevented Jews from observing Shabbos, uh, the Sabbath, studying the Torah um, and um, practicing their faith. Um, but a group of zealous fighters called the Maccabees, uh, that was the family name, Maccabee, and um, they waged a revolt and pushed the Syrians out. They entered the temple and what normally takes eight days to light the candelabra in the, in the temple, um, they found one vial of oil. Uh, it normally takes eight days to, to make oil and purify it to put it into the uh, candelabras in, in the temple. Uh, and miracle of miracles that one can that was only supposed to last for one day lasted for eight days until they could prepare uh, new oil. And in fact, the Ne'er Talmid, the uh, candle that is lit over the ark in every synagogue, um, never goes out. It's 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 on uh, constantly, and um, God provided a way for them to have the temple lit uh, for eight days, and that's why we celebrate this holiday. Um, on Hanukkah, we eat foods that are fried in oil, and particularly potato pancakes. And uh, Roseanne was busy at the <laughs> oven with making 80 of them for you tonight. Um, so I hope you enjoy them. And the sufganyot, which are the cakes, the jelly-filled cakes that are eaten on, uh, they're there for you too to enjoy. Um, okay, Roseanne? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. And follow along and try to say the Bamitzvosah, Vitzivanu, Lehadlik Ner, Shel 
Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, sovereign of all, king of the universe, who has hallowed us with his mitzvot, his commandment, commanding us to kindle the Hanukkah lights. And the second blessing, underneath the Hebrew, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Ha'olam Shehechianu Sha'osa Nisim Lavoteinu Bayomim Ho'hein Bazman Hazeh Blessed are you, O Lord our God, Sovereign of all, King of the universe, who performed wondrous deeds for our ancestors in days of old at this season. And on the first night, we say the third blessing, and try to say that with me. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Ho'olam Shehechianu Vikiyamanu Vihigiyanu Lazman Azeh. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, Sovereign of all, King of the universe, for giving us life, for sustaining us, and for enabling us to reach this season. Thank you, Rubir. Well, I want to thank Pastor Brian Henson and Park Bible Baptist Church for hosting me tonight, my wife Roseanne for decorating the Fellowship Hall and making the latkes. Um, and I particularly want to thank those people who brought me to the Lord. Um, and you'll hear about them in my, in my testimony. Linda, Jonathan... Gil and Sandy, Lorna, Pastor Korth, who is listening to uh, to this uh, stream from North Carolina, and Lorna Simcox, who is listening from Ewing, New Jersey. Thank you for joining us. And Pastor Buck from Bethel Baptist Church in... Blackwood Terrace, New Jersey, where I was baptized. Thirty years. Well, once I heard that someone hears the gospel seven times before they are saved. And this is certainly true for me. It took seven people over a 30-year period. Check it. I was a teenager in Hebrew school when I first heard about Jesus. I asked the rabbi who was this Jesus? And he looked at me sternly and he said, Sheket. Sheket is an interesting Hebrew word. It doesn't mean just be quiet. It's silence. Like I was being silenced something you're not supposed to say. Um, and if I persisted, when I persisted, he said, Sheket Bavakasha. 
Silence, please. I stopped asking. <laughs> but I, I get it. Um, you know, the worldwide population in uh, 1960, the Jewish population was 14.7 million people. The worldwide population was just over 3 billion. Um, that's um, 0 0.00049%. There are not many Jews in the world. We have over 5 million here in the United States, so you, you, you have Jewish friends and co-workers and no, no Jews here in the United States, but that's not the case in most of the world. So in the rabbi's eyes, we couldn't afford to lose one Jew. You don't talk about Jesus, all right? Uh, I get it. I understood. The next time I heard the gospel was in 1968 from a college friend, Linda, who was a Southern Baptist. She was interested in learning about Hebrew and Judaism, and uh, she spoke to me several times about Jesus. Shamedly, I admit I was more interested in her than I was in her faith or in this fellow Jesus. Um, so I, um, I quickly dismissed the idea of Christianity, and, uh, but she spoke about Jesus in a very personal way, and that, that stuck with me. Um, Joan, I married a woman who I met as a senior. I had dated Joan for four years after I graduated college. We married in 1974. Perfect in every way, except she was Catholic and I was very Jewish. We were married by a rabbi in a catering hall, which pleased neither side, neither family. Um, she was excommunicated for marrying me. And we only attended church when we went to visit her parents uh, on Christmas and Easter. I had heard the gospel there, but also saw a lot of statues of Mary and Jesus and people kneeling and praying to them. And I knew the Second Amendment, thou shalt not make any graven images, and uh, I didn't understand um, why they would be praying to these statues if, if it's clear God commanded not to, to make any image of him. Um, and, uh, and I thought, well, how could this, how could Jesus be God if they're, I mean, they're praying to Jesus, but it's a statue. Okay? Um, I also left the synagogue. 
at this time. My parents had very little to say to me for the next five years wow. until my daughter was born, their first grandchild. But we had no Bible, no prayer in the house, no religion. We had the traditions. We had Christmas and Easter and Hanukkah and Passover and ate all the foods, the Jewish foods, but um, there was no faith in our house. Let's fast forward to 1989. My friend Jonathan lived uh, near me and uh, invited me to go to church. He had no family, he was all alone, and just as a friend. As a friend, I went for over two years. Mm -hmm. I, I attended Morristown Bible Church, Pastor Korth there, and uh, I met Pastor Korth and he talked to me about Jesus the Messiah. I heard the gospel there, but it was for someone else. It wasn't for, for me. The Jewish concept of a Messiah is very hard for, for Christians to understand. Um, Jews believed that he would come from the Davidic line, that he would be anointed by the high priest as, as the king of Israel, um, and that Jews would make Aliyah to go up. Uh, anybody who emigrates to Israel uh, has made Aliyah. They go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem, if you've been to Israel, is, is high up on, on the hill. Um, and he, most importantly, he would be a uh, redeemer who relieved the Jews of their suffering and their oppression. Well, Jesus certainly didn't do any of those things. Um, nobody flocked to Palestine to follow him. Uh, and he certainly didn't relieve the Jews of any suffering. In fact, the Romans killed tens of thousands of Jews um, while he was while he was ministering, and um, they they didn't see that as being a Messiah. Life became harder for the Jews in the first century. So how could this Jesus be a Messiah? No wonder he was rejected. But I thought either he was not who he said he was, or the Jews have the wrong concept of a Messiah. Which is it? Then I get a call from a man, Gil Singer. He said he was a representative of the Friends of Israel, Gospel Ministry, whose headquarters is actually right here in New Jersey, worldwide headquarters, um, is here in Deptford, New Jersey. Um, he explained that they were a worldwide Christian ministry communicating truth 
about Israel and the Messiah. There's that word again, Messiah. While fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. He says, we got your name from Jim Korth, the pastor at Moorestown Bible Church. And was I interested in hearing about the Messiah? Well, none of that made any sense to me. The Messiah hadn't come yet. How could anyone believe in the gospel and be a friend of Israel? Didn't make sense to me. Furthermore, I said to him, I'm living a good life. I got a wife and kids who love me. I got a good job, money to provide for my wife, my wife and family. And um, furthermore, even if I was interested, my father would never approve. And uh, for me growing up, my father was a very dominant um, uh, person in my life. And I just didn't do anything without his approval. Little did I realize um, that these excuses would be gone very quickly. That was the wrong thing to say, especially when God is listening. Mm -hmm. I quickly understood that you can't run away from God. Amen. When He selects you, you don't run from Him. You don't make excuses. Within six months, all my excuses were gone. I lost my job that I had for 12 years. Excuse number one was gone. I started selling health insurance. And little did I realize that it takes years before you can build up enough commissions to provide for your family. Um, we had no steady paycheck coming in. Excuse number two was gone. Mm. We had no money. Mm. Then my father died unexpectedly of cancer. And excuse number three was gone. And then two months later, my wife of 17 years asked me for a divorce. Mm. Excuse number four was gone. I was skeptical when Gil called. I found myself alone, no money, no wife, no father. Mm. Most importantly, no Messiah mm. to relieve my suffering. I called Gil and I said, I, I'll listen to what you have to say, but only in a public place. I won't let you in my house. I warn you, I'm skeptical. 
So we agreed to meet in the Student Union Building at Glassboro State College. This morning's sermon, Pastor Henson, um, if God directed you to, you know, to speak t today on, on Mark chapter 12, it was because of this testimony. Um, Mark chapter 12 is uh, where the um, uh, Sadducees, the Pharisees had uh, asked um, Jesus, uh, they were going to, they wanted to trick him. They wanted to put him in a no-win situation. And they asked him if it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. And no matter whether he said yes or no, he was in trouble. Mm. All right. And I and and they thought they had him. Well, I was suspicious. What does Gil want from me? What does this guy want from me? And I came with my guns loaded. And I was going to trick him. And I was going to put him in a, ask him a question, and no matter what he said, um, would not have been correct. Um, and I asked him, if you're God, if this Jesus is so loving, how could he allow the Holocaust to happen? You have to understand, the Holocaust is the premier event, not only of the 20th century, but of practically all of human history. You don't love a nation that you call your own, and then allow six million of its people to perish. So, how could your God allow the Holocaust to happen? For sure, he couldn't answer that one. He takes my Bible, and he opens to Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the curses. And if you have your Bible... Uh, please turn to Deuteronomy 28. I'll give you a minute to get there. I'll quote from King James Version. Deuteronomy 28, verse 20. In that verse it says Jews will perish and they will perish quickly. Did you know that six million Jews and twice that many Christians were gone 
in just over two years, the whole European Jewish nation was annihilated practically overnight, very quickly. Verse 22, the Lord will smite thee with a consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation. Did you know that scurvy and malaria killed more Jews in the concentration camps than did the ovens? That's consumption, that's fever, and that's inflammation. Verse 22 continues, and with an extreme burning and blasting. And that sure sounds like the ovens to me. Verse 24. The Lord shall make the rain of the land powder and dust. From heaven it will come down upon thee. In videos that we see of the Jews coming off the train at Auschwitz, there's ashes falling from the sky, ashes of the burning bodies in the ovens. That was from the blast ovens, the blast that God is talking about in verse 22. Verse 26, Thy carcass shall be meat unto all fowls of the air, and unto the beasts of the earth, and no man shall fray them away. After the Jews were shot and placed in mass graves, their bodies were eaten by vultures and other animals in the field. Those were the beasts of the earth and the fowls of the air who will eat the carcass of the Jews. Verse 30. Thou shalt betroth a wife and another man shall sleep with her. So many Jewish women were raped in the concentration camps that the rabbis determined that offspring, offspring of these women would be Jewish if the mother was Jewish. Did not matter who the father was, if the mother was Jewish, the offspring would be Jewish. And that arose out of all of the women who were raped during World War II. For thousands of years, lineage was determined by the male until Hitler took care of that. And the rabbis had a dilemma and decided that if the mother was Jewish, the child was Jewish. Have you had enough? Does that sound like the Holocaust to you? Let me give you one more. Thou shalt beget sons and daughters, but thou shalt not enjoy them, for they shall go into captivity. Children were torn away from their mothers 
when they got off the trains in the concentration camps, never to be seen again. Mm. My second cousin, Inga, was fortunate. I lost grandparents, but she was sent as a 19-year-old girl to Argentina. But even still then, she did not reunite with her parents for 10 years after the war. But Deuteronomy was written by Moses 5,000 years ago. How could this event be described so accurately in the Bible? Gil gave me some homework. He said, go home and read Leviticus 26. Okay. I go, opened up to Leviticus 26, and it's more blessings and curses. And many verses sound an awful lot like what happened in Nazi Germany. We met again. And Gil asked me what I thought the Bible was. Well, it's a history book. It's the history of the Jews from Adam and Eve to Malachi. That's all the Bible is, is a history book. Mm. He rolled his eyes and he mumbled under his breath, I got a long road ahead of me. <laughs> and I said, the idea of the Trinity, that was the next question that Jews can't resolve in their heads. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, says there is only one God. Shema Yisrael, Hear, O Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Lord our God, Adonai Echad, one God. So that blows away your trinity. Yeah. That's one God, it can't be three gods. Um, Gil told me to go to Genesis and read the first three words of Genesis. Um, and of course, I had read this in Hebrew school a thousand times. Bereshi bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. He says uh, that word Elohim has a im on the end of it. It's got L.
El, which is God's name, or the Hebrew word for God, but it's got im on the end. Im on the end of any word makes it plural. Right there in the first three words of the Bible is a plural God. Why hadn't I seen this? As many... Eight years of Hebrew high school reading that verse and I never realized that Elohim was plural. He said, go home and find out how many references there are to a plural God in the Old Testament. Genesis 1-2 And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God. Could this be the Ruach HaKodesh? The Holy Spirit? I found several hundred verses in the Old Testament of a plural God. Let us make man in our image. Who's us? Who's God talking to? Who's the us up there? If it's one God... Who's he talking to? What does he mean? Our image. Genesis 2. The Lord God made the heavens and earth. We know that. This is the first reference to Lord in the Bible. Up till now, it was just God. God created the heavens and earth and it was good and God created man and it was very good and you know it's God this is the first time you see the word Lord in capitals and I was taught that every word was inspired by God so who is this Lord if the words Lord and God were synonymous like most people think They interchange them, Lord and God, all the time. That would be translated, God, God made everything. There has to be a distinction between Lord and God. And why is it capitalized? Later I learned that Jesus was Lord of Lords. And this was just in the first two chapters I found all of these references to a Holy Spirit, to a Lord, you know, that's not God, you know, or separate from God. Okay, so I accept the idea of a triune God. But Jesus, being the Son of God, and a virgin giving birth, that's ridiculous. Gil said, do you believe that Sarah could have had a child at the age of 75, well beyond childbearing years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's in Genesis. That's my Bible. Mm -hmm. If that's true, 
then you believe that a God can open a womb of an old lady. Why can't you believe that a virgin could conceive by the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale? That's ridiculous. And when I say ridiculous, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to... Uh, you know, I'm trying to give you a Jewish perspective um, how Jews think about a triune God and a virgin birth and... Um, I said, sure, I believe that Jonah spent three days in the belly of a well. Do you believe that Moses parted the Red Sea? Yeah, we, we read that every year in, at the Passover Seder. That's ridiculous that a man can part the Red Sea just by opening his hands. I said to him, I, I, I said to him, um, I noticed that your Bible is thicker than my Bible. <laughs> What's all that extra stuff? Well, I opened up the way for Gil to introduce me to the New Testament by saying, what's that other stuff? Mm. See, when you witness to Jewish people, you work from the Old Testament and you wait for them to give you the door open to the New Testament. And when I said, what's all that other stuff? I said, that's not my Bible. That's just the book that Friends of Israel publishes to trick Jews into converting to Christianity. That's not a Bible. That's not, I showed them my Bible. My Bible ended with Malachi. And Gil said, I'm glad you asked. It's called the New Testament. That's not in my Bible. Again, Gil mumbled, I got a lot of work to do. I didn't see Gil for several weeks, but I did get a Bible with all that extra stuff in it. Gil worked with me for the next year, showing me Old Testament prophecies and how Jesus fulfilled them in the New Testament. But I wasn't going to be the only one to convert. I wasn't going to be the only Jew to become a Christian. I wanted to meet other Jewish believers. Gil gives me an invitation to join a Bible study. I arrived at the Zimmerman house to find a half a dozen men talking about Jesus. And they were all Jewish. Mm -hmm. 
Some attended a church. Some attended a messianic synagogue. I couldn't believe it. There are others out there too. But I wanted to meet someone with my background that went to Hebrew high school, that had a scholarship to Gratz Bible College, who was going to be a rabbi. Show me somebody with that background. Jewish heritage. The last overriding fear was that if I accepted this new religion, I'd have to give up my Jewish heritage. I wouldn't be able to celebrate Hanukkah. I love lighting Hanukkah candles, eating the special foods, and blowing the shofar on the high holidays. I couldn't stop doing those things. Gil takes me to dinner at the home of Tom and Lorna Simcox. Tom is a pastor who also works for Friends of Israel, while Lorna was a freelance journalist and later to become the editor-in-chief of Israel My Glory, their magazine. Dinner was delicious, but the conversation was about her search for something more. She wrote a book called The Search. She's a Jewish woman who married a pastor. And she also asked questions in Hebrew school. She convinced me that even though she married a pastor and is now a Christian, she still practices Jewish traditions. Not only did she not give up her Jewish heritage, but when she got saved, she was free from sin. I heard the gospel in a different way that night. At the end of dinner, when they asked me if I wanted to accept Jesus as my Savior, I declined. I didn't understand how you can be a Jew and a Christian at the same time. Someone handed me a pamphlet entitled, What It Means to Be a Christian. The Old Testament scriptures talk about Jews and Gentiles. That's all there were in the world. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. Didn't matter if you were a Baptist, a Presbyterian, a Muslim, or a Buddhist, you were a Gentile, a Goy in, in Hebrew.
Um, many Jews died at the Holocaust. Many Jews converted to Christianity, changed their names in order to survive. But they were still Jewish, and they died Jewish. In the New Testament, Apostle Paul talks about three kinds of people. The Jew, the Gentile, and the church. Who's the church? Well, the church are both Jews and Gentiles who have accepted Jesus as their Messiah. It's like a Venn diagram with overlapping circles. You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles. But in the middle, you have the church. Let me make that clear. The church are both Jews and Gentiles who have accepted Jesus as the Messiah. You have many Gentiles who are not Christian, who don't have a relationship with Christ. Even though they're Gentiles, they are not Christians. You have some Jews who have accepted Jesus and are part of the church, but they are still Jewish. You assume that all Gentiles are Christians because they grow up with Jesus, hearing about Jesus, knowing Jesus. Not true. If they have not made a decision to follow Christ, they're merely Gentiles, just Goyim. So it's also possible for a Jew to be a believer. Amen. In fact, when people ask me, what do I call myself? I don't say a completed Jew or, you know, um, I, I say I'm a Jewish believer. The fear that I might have to give up my Judaism had been settled. Mm. Jesus was born a Jew. He was a Jew when he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And he was a Jew when he died. 
Well, I'm sure Gil and Sandy wanted to give up on me at this point. We had been, they had been trying for three years um, to uh, get me to accept Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, I became a good friend. I attended church with them. Um, and I played with their children. But I wanted to experience Christian love. So they took me in their house, and they gave me a couch on the weekends in their basement. Mm -hmm. And I saw how they loved one another, and um, Gil was devoted to the Lord, and Sandy was devoted to Gil, and um, and although Gil disciplined his kids, it was never done out of anger, but to train them up in the way that they should go. And I wanted that Christian love for my two kids. Here's where Pastor Korth comes in. I called Gil. I mean, God had took, taken care of all my excuses. I, I, I didn't know what to do anymore. Um, and I said, um, set up a meeting with Pastor Korth at the church. And we'll talk. The three of us met on August 23rd, 1993. We had talked briefly in the pastor's study about my adventure and the need to follow Christ. And I excused myself, went into the chapel. One last excuse remained for me. Even though he had been dead for four years, I needed my father's approval to make this decision. I know he died without knowing Jesus. Sitting in the pew, I asked for his permission to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And suddenly I got very hot. I started sweating profusely. Dad, should I do this? I started getting dizzy, having blurred vision. I was about to faint. Uh, in the medical term, it's called vasovagal syndrome. It's your body's way of shutting down when you're confronted with fear. In this altered state, 
I heard Jesus say, come to me. Dad, tell me it's all right. I sensed voices speaking to me. They weren't audible voices. They were just thoughts. But they were pretty clear. Do it, son. You don't want to be here. But Pop, the family won't understand. I'm the only one in my family. Why, why me? And Mom's still alive. She won't understand. I won't let you come to this awful place, I heard. I was selected. I prayed to Jesus to save me. There was no bolt of lightning as would happen to Saul. Um, but I was definitely touched by Jesus. Well, I was still sweating when I went back to the pastor's study. My clothes were wet. My hair was all matted down with perspiration dripping off my face onto his rug. And I said, what do I have to do to get saved? And he said, well, by the looks of you, you've already done it. <laughs> Gil said a short prayer, and Pastor Korth handed me a track entitled, Now You're a Christian. Well, unbeknownst to both Gil and Pastor Korth, they, the two of them, had scheduled this meeting on the fourth anniversary of my father's death. Wow. But I was angry. The story doesn't end there. What would my life have been like had I never heard the Gospels? It would have been like a football game. At halftime, the team runs off the field. You think the game's over. I only had half the story in my Bible. I didn't know there was a second half to be played. And I didn't know how the game would end. And I was angry. I was angry at the rabbis for silencing me when I had these questions. I was angry for not hearing about Jesus, even though he's in the Old Testament. 
never hearing important chapters like Isaiah 53, the forbidden chapter that's not read in the synagogue. They read portions of Isaiah 52 and 54, but 53, the suffering servant is not read. Skipped. My bar mitzvah was Malachi 1 1 to chapter 2, verse 7. That's as far as you read in Malachi. Later, I found out that salvation is in chapter 4. So I was angry and I vowed that I wouldn't get baptized until I could, one, say the name of Jesus comfortably, and two, I develop a relationship with him. I joined Bethel Baptist Church in Blackwood Terrace. Pastor Joe Buck was my teacher. I got my daughter and son in Awana so they could know Jesus. I accompanied Gil when he went to visit churches that supported him. And together we did Jesus in the Passover Seder each year. And I taught sessions on how to witness to Jewish people. We often went to malls, the Deptford Mall. We, we walked up to total strangers. And we asked, do you know where you're going when you die? That takes a lot of courage. Because you don't know how people are going to respond to that question. And you got to be a little mishugana. Yiddish, a little crazy. Now I had the full armor, armor of God on. Mm. I mean, you don't confront people like that just naturally. But with the armor of God, you're able to do it. And I was ready for baptism. Mm. On October 27th, 1996, wow. I was baptized in Bethel. This ended a 30-year journey learning about this Messiah for me. I'm, almost, I'm always envious of people who can kneel down beside, at the side of their bed, say a prayer and get saved. Mm. Or watch a television show, The 700 Club, or, or some other televangelist mm -hmm. on there and say a prayer and get saved. For me, it was 30 years. Mm 
And you have to understand all the tradition that Jewish people have. You know, Tevya, the milkman, they're a tradition, tradition. <laughs> it really makes it difficult for Jews to believe in a Jesus. But what made that night particularly special for me was that my daughter Lauren got baptized Amen. with me the same night. And I was so proud of her. And my son Eric, who's here tonight, I took him to see Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. It was a production by Reality Outreach Ministries. And he was baptized at Central Baptist Church in Ewing, New Jersey, where he went to college at the College of New Jersey. So gave me tremendous sense of satisfaction knowing that I brought my two children to a saving grace, Amen. knowing Jesus. And then although my walk with the Lord is not perfect, I brought my two children and my son-in-law to the Lord. Amen. And probably others that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that this testimony will give others the courage to witness to Jewish friends and co-workers. The task is intimidating and it's not easy. Gil and Sandy could attest to that. It takes several years. You got to make the commitment for the long run when you talk to a Jewish person about the Lord. Well, we belong to something far greater than we can possibly understand, far beyond our comprehension. Amen. After all, this is the Great Commission to bring the gospel to all nations, even the Jewish nation, even the Hebrews. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. We are all sinners. Is there anyone out there who can say they have never broken one of the commandments, your holy mitzvot? No, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. We accept Yeshua, your son, as the living Messiah who paid the price for our sins and died on the cross so that we may live forever. Amen. I pray that if there is anyone out there listening to me who does not know Yeshua HaMashiach as their Lord and Savior, that they call out to Him now. And I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. That's my story.